you know, your success is your success. Like I'm never going to hang my hat on your success, you know, cause I'm not the one out there skating. Um, you know, it's, we jokingly say, it's like, if the strength coach is working on your blades or the strength coach is in the coach's box or the strength coach is out there skating, something went wrong. <laughs> so that's their performance. So for me, it's okay. I just want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing well. You as a person, not you as an athlete. Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional development. Today, I'm joined by the Andrew Stewart. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Always a good day when I can record a podcast, catch up with friends, not got two birds with one stone. So Andrew and I have gotten connected. I'm not going to say how just yet because your background will, will lead to it. But <laughs> we've had some awesome training chats, just chats about careers and stuff like that. He's been super nice to give me his time. He is currently the head of health and performance science slash head strength and conditioning coordinator at U.S. Speed Skating, which is a unique sport in and of itself and has led to some super interesting conversations. But... If you could briefly sh chat on some of the stops you've had along the way to get to where you are now, and we will get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so I originally was a college football player at Ole Miss. When I got done with my time there, I started interning um, both football and Olympic sports. Um, moved around a lot, as most people in the profession do. So a few different places that I've been to. Is, I was at University of Memphis after Ole Miss. Um, I worked in physical therapy as well in Memphis. Um, so I got to work with some NBA and, and minor league baseball players there. And then I actually took a job with the Air Force down in Bossier uh, City, Louisiana, and had a, a nice time there, two years there, where I uh, that job kind of went south, as most uh, contract civilians in the military jobs kind of go. Um, but I met Dr. Kyle Pierce at LSU Shreveport, which is the USA Weightlifting High Performance and Development Center. Um, there in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so I trained under Kyle in weightlifting um, and uh, Kyle hooked me up and let me be the strength coach for the, the, the couple of different athletic programs there and got to be a adjunct professor as well within that kinesiology department. Um, and then from there, I was very fortunate to be able to get a, a internship with Sam Gardner and Jamie Myers out at Chula Vista athletic, uh, Olympic Training Center right before Rio Olympics. And so I went out there, spent five, six months out there. My wife was actually in Florida at the time, so we were living on opposite sides of the U.S., um, but that was a great experience, and uh, following the Rio Olympics, um, I was able to go out to uh, University of New Mexico, start working on a, a PhD there, um, got to work with a lot of different teams there. Um, one, of my, one of the more successful ones that People may know is uh, Josh Kerr, who just got bronze at the recent Tokyo Games. Um, Josh was a cross-country and track athlete there at University of New Mexico. And the women's cross-country team there, actually, they're pretty dominant when it comes to cross-country. Uh, I think probably in the last five years, they've been the NCAA champs three or four times. Um, so I was very fortunate to be around those coaches and, and all the programs I worked with. And then lastly, yeah, I just ended up here right after the 18 Games. Fantastic, fantastic. And you stumbled upon Dr. Aaron Kanan in, in Shreveport. <laughs> that is yeah. our, our connection. Yeah, so Aaron, love Aaron to death. He's like a brother to me. Um, Aaron has 
seeing the many sides of me uh, as an athlete um, and as a young and up and coming trans conditioning coach and uh, dabbler in kind of sports science. Um, he still mentors and educates me even today. Um, but yeah, he's a great friend, great mentor, uh, great coach. Episode 75, shameless plug. I think Ooh. you'll be 114 or 115, something like that. Don't quote me on that. Somewhere in the, in the, the teens ish. Um, you meet cool people and they help you meet other cool people. So super grateful for that whole tree and the awesome conversations and, and what it's led to. So, uh, Andrew's preparing his athletes for some Olympic trials coming up. So best of luck before I forget to say that, but so that's a little bit about where he's been all across the country, literally, and working with a bunch of different athletes. So I feel like we're, we're going to get some pretty cool stories, but first looking back was the first most fundamental story or biggest kind of fork in the road moment. Looking back, if you had gone the other way, everything would be completely different. Yeah. So when I first got done uh, interning with Ole Miss, um, I was just like everybody that's looking for the next internship, looking for the next paid internship or GA position. And I really, I, I couldn't find one. Um, just that's the reality of the profession, right? We all have been there. And so I had a girlfriend at, at the time, now she's my wife, but she was living actually, she graduated two years before me and she was living about an hour away from me up north in uh, South Haven, Mississippi, um, in the schools. And she said, basically, Hey, like, I can't keep doing this long distance thing. So either you got to move up here or, or, you know, we're going to cancel this. Right. And so, so I moved up there and I became a school teacher, middle school, uh, history teacher and football coach for about a year and really realized I did not want to do that. Um, and so basically that was the, like the ultimate decision time for me. Um, and so I, I basically decided I had to jump in both feet into the profession and really sacrifice. And what really paid off was through that time. So went to university of Memphis football with work Cutchlow, uh, spent about the summer months there with him interning at the same time I started, um, training out of what was called CrossFit Memphis or faction strength conditioning, which is the home of barbell shrug podcast. So oh. Mike Bledsoe, Chris Moore, Doug Larson, uh, CTP, those four guys, I was kind of there right when they were starting up. And so Mike Bledsoe was my weightlifting coach. Uh, Chris Moore was a huge influencer on me, um, as was Doug. And so basically it got to the point where this military job came open in, uh, in Bossier city. And so I went to both all those guys, I went to Chris and I went to Mike, especially. And I was like, look, this is where I'm at. This is, you know, I, I really want to do strength conditioning. Don't know about this job. They say it may not last six months. And I remember Chris Moore basically looking me flat in the face and going, dude, you could go down and spend six months with one of the best sports scientists, weightlifting coaches in the whole country. You can train with, a two-time Olympian, you can learn as much as possible down there. And in six months, if it's over, it's over. And so I kind of like was sitting there and contemplating this because I just, we had just gotten married, my wife and I, no income from my side of things uh, or very little. She was also working, we were both finishing our master's degrees. So student loan debts, 
Um, she was working full time. So a lot of things there. And, uh, and so, yeah, I decided at that moment, um, that was right after the, I guess the London games, I, yeah, I decided right then and there, I was like, I was going to take the job, whether it was uncertain, you know, it was going to last longer than six months or not. And, uh, and so I went down there and that, that moment really was the most pivotal moment in my, in my career, I think, because I went down there, job quit, job was over in six months, but Kyle, you know, welcomed me in open arms. I got to meet Kendrick and train with Kendrick, learn from Kendrick. I got to meet Aaron, obviously got coached by him, learned from him. Uh, I got, you know, Danny Schlag was another great guy. I got to train with uh, Columbia. I got to train with France. I got to train with Ghana. I got to train with all these different, you know, Japan. I got to train with all these different coaches and athletes from these different countries and really kind of opened my mind to, you know, the different techniques uh, within the Olympic weightlifting, the different exercises, and how those kind of periodize and come together and all that kind of stuff. So um, that was probably the most pivotal because off of that one, I was able to go to Chula Vista and then off of Chula Vista, I was able to go to Mexico because of Chula Vista. It helped me at this job to get my foot in the door to do the interviews. So that was probably the most like pivotal point in my whole professional career. And what's clutch is you were married at that point. So your wife couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah timed it perfectly yeah. versus the the ultimatum of of earlier but um yeah. that that that's definitely a, a theme of of the people that have very serious significant others as i'm 25 single not by choice but uh <laughs> <laughs> um we're like snc is a demanding you know like if you want to get super high there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made so it's it's good that it all worked out when you said girlfriend at the time turned wife i was like clutch Clutch. <laughs> um, so with that decision, do you remember hopping your car to drive across the country? Like when, like when was that first moment of like, was it getting in the car? Was it getting to the apartment? Was it your first day at work? Like when did it really hit you? Like, this is real. Yeah. I mean, the driving out to the Olympic training center was, you know, we were living in Panama city at the time. So we had stayed in Shreveport for about almost two years. Um, my wife had finished up her clinicals, all those kind of things. Um, and she's like, look, you've, you know, you've chosen the, the cities so far. It's like, I want to, I want I, the next one's mine. So it's like, okay, cool. So we go, she's like, I want to go Panama city. I want to go to Florida. Okay, cool. We go live there. And, you know, uh, so we were living in Panama city and we were driving across to, to Chula Vista, California. And right around, you know, we've been, we've been used to moving at this point, but we were moving. And I remember driving, I think we were either in Utah or we were in Colorado. I can't remember where it was, but we were driving and there was like snowy mountains. We're from Mississippi, man. We don't have that. We don't know what that is. Right. Um, and so just coming across, I was like, man, wow. So we were, I'm actually doing this. And then what made it even more surreal is I remember we drove, uh, we drove up to the training center and the gates. And I was like, damn, we're here. <laughs> like I'm here. And then, um, you know, being let in and being processed and getting my lanyard and getting my ID and getting my room number and all those kind of things. Um, 
and then you know my wife and i we you know took a picture outside the the you know the sign and it's like damn this is this is real like i'm actually going to do this and i'm actually getting an opportunity to like contribute in some way to this kind of higher level athlete um yeah so it's very surreal moment when we kind of got there welcome to the big leagues right it's like yeah what you do matters now like like it always matters but like if yeah if you uh if you if you take the wrong turn it's going to be really detrimental to somebody's somebody's success yeah yeah that's crazy if if you want a, a real surprise, come up to Chicago in December, January. <laughs> well, we're in Utah now, so we've had three oh, years. That's in fair. Utah. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're set now. Well, speaking of of Utah, so it was really interesting. I, I forgot where I saw it, but it was the topography of the U.S. You know, just the elevation and stuff, and how flat like just the Midwest is, because you have you have the the mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, and Tennessee and stuff, and then you have like Utah, and then all of the the West Coast and stuff. And I, I make freelance videos, the marketing videos for Attenity Motion. And I shot one in uh, Park City and one in uh, Salem. And I was like literally like a kid in a candy store when we were, when I was departing, I looked out the window and I literally took pictures of it on my phone of just these mountains. And it's <laughs> yeah. like the most simple looking picture, but I'm just like, this, this is so weird. Like mountains are real. Yeah. Um, so I, I can only imagine what that was like moving to live there, let alone just spending, you know, 24 hours there. So crazy, crazy. Um, and I like how you connected the dots of like, well, that because of what you learned there and who you met, then that was there. And then that was there. And da, da, da. And of course it makes sense. Like everything is connected, but I felt like there's so much value in just taking a step back and like really realizing even the places where you're like, ah, I don't really know. Like, it's not really making sense just yet. Like, yeah, they are all connected for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing is like looking back, you know, I can from from Kyle and from LSU Shreveport, like I can actually draw more connections to other things in my life outside of that. Right. So like, you know, so, yeah, I, I was at University of Memphis. Um, and so, you know, so Kyle Pierce is on that lineage tree of Mike Stone. OK, cool. Well, so is um, Dr. Schilling um, and. Brian Schilling, who was at University of Memphis. Well, Brian Schilling uh, got his PhD um, and was and got his or got his master's from Dr. Stone at Appalachian State. So Brian's in that tree, and so then I had done classes for Brian. Well, even further down that tree is Mike Bledsoe, Doug Larson, Chris Moore, all, and Andy Galpin, who everybody probably knows, yeah. right? All four of them got their degrees from. University of Memphis. So Brian Schilling's been in their connection, right? And they're all connected. Like if you go through the whole like weeds of the tree, right? Like the leaves of the tree, like they're all connected back to Doc Stone. And so my journey actually has a lot of interconnected pieces and parts to the stone kind of like tree. Um, and I, I did not even like contemplate that until you know, now in my, in my you know, early thirties, I'm like, man, actually like this has been, yeah, I have never met Doc Stone or Meg. Well, I've met him once at a weightlifting competition, but not like really, really well, but like I'm connected somehow to that because also at university of New Mexico, we had Carla Garrett who Carla in the early nineties, she went to the Barcelona games 
as a shot put thrower. Meg Stone was her coach. And then she also was doubled in weightlifting, but women's weightlifting wasn't in the Olympics yet. So she would have gone to the summer games for two Olympic sports if women's weightlifting was allowed in that, in that winter, in that summer games. Wow. And Meg Stone was her coach and Carla knows Kyle. So it's like this whole big tree that yeah. I'm sitting in my early thirties. And I'm like, I like, I literally am like around this giant tree, this network. Mm. And I didn't even know it. Mm. Yeah. Even, even leading you and I together, it was yeah. a, a LinkedIn DM that I sent the USC sports science coordinator, April, 2019. Yeah, it was just a, a DM when I wanted to get back in college, you know, yeah. um, and how it I'm not going to say the cliche is who, you know, I'm already rolling my eyes thinking about it. But like even just my two bosses that have been in performance for 10 and 20 years. The amount of people that like I follow is like big time guys, you know. They're like, oh, yeah, like we like text all the time. Or like, oh, I've, I've chatted with him like on multiple occasions. So, so many people are like just a text away. It really does blow my mind and how it yeah. relates together and, you know, happenstance or serendipity or whatever term it is. Um, it's valuable to really appreciate that and take a step back. So it's a, a cool connection. Um, so next, <laughs> kind of the middle, the coolest or craziest story you have thus far amidst all that stuff what would it be oh man i don't know if i have like a crazy story um we, now we, i've seen some we crazy, can go coolest yeah i think i mean i'm gonna be super cliche here but Love watching it. but watching joe kovacs back squat like 700 pounds like before the Rio games, that one, I was just like, good God, man. Set like, the, set the <laughs> scene for us. Where, where was that? When? Yeah. So that was at Chula Vista. Um, his coach at the time, Art Venegas was there. Um, there's a, there's a video somewhere. I'll have to find it or you might can find it, but um, we basically had like a, he was doing a heavy squat workout. I don't know what the, I don't know what the whole program was because Art had the program and, what it would look like outside of that. But I remember my boss, Jamie, just looking over at me and going, it's going to be a big day. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, he's like, he's warming up, he's going and um, they, they get up to, I don't, I think it was like close to seven, 700 or something like that. And they're getting ready to go. And I'm just standing there. I'm just like, I'm not getting anywhere close to this. Could in a candy shop. Yeah. Well, like, so, so we had, we had, uh, basically we had a spotter on the side on both sides. We had, uh, Jamie in the middle behind, behind him and Art comes up to me and I'm just standing there and Art comes up to me and he goes, go spot him. Okay. Uh, well, there's, there's a three spot already. Like what am I going to do in front? <laughs> yeah. So, so basically Art was like, go spot Jamie my boss who's the back spot so it's like in the video there's like four of us there and i'm just standing there with like nothing to do and so i look really dopey in the video if you ever find the video i'm just I'll standing next to jamie and i'm like i literally don't know what to do in this situation but just watching him do that i was like good god and and that that is the same feeling i had when i watched kendrick do like 
500 and something pounds for sets of, of 10. And I was like, good, my God, man, like the amount of just strength that these guys have, um, you know, that, that is probably the coolest thing to, to watch and, and being able to, uh, I got to coach Joe for just like one, one little session of like jerks, uh, split jerks. And I remember he got up to over like 200 kilos for like behind the neck split jerk. And oh he my gosh. asking me for like technical, you know, things. And I, at that moment I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is, this is a cool job. <laughs> I oh didn't know gosh. it was a cool job at first, but now I know it's a cool job. Yeah. So I don't really have like any kind of like crazy, like stories, but those, those just watching those like raw feet of strength right is is one of like to see the human body be able to do something like that is really freaking cool yeah yeah it's 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 one thing to to have those athletes that are definitely gifted you know but but I, when I you see say, those yeah i mean freaks yeah and then the same thing goes over here with speed skating like watching a one of our athletes set a world record dude they're going you know 40 miles an hour right like flying on ice and it's just like, I, I would literally kill myself if I tried to do something like that. Mm. Just crazy. Yeah. And literally like just comprehending a world, like no one else has ever yeah. done it that fast. Yeah. You know, That's you watch nuts. someone, you watch someone skate 1500 meters, uh, you know, in a, I don't even know, or a thousand meters in like a minute, 11, a minute, 12. You're like, Oh my God. Like, that's super like you're booking it like how are you not falling <laughs> yeah. and, and with skating man it's, it's one of those things where it's like it's most people look at it, like most people may look at it and be like oh okay yeah it's all right I, I see it I get it and it's like well no you're not actually understanding like the amount of peripheral and central fatigue that is associated because you, you know everybody talks about proprioception you're literally balancing on a blade that's one eighth of an inch and you're going 40 miles an hour. So you're having to put down that force and you're having to have that control while you go around a corner. That's, that's mind numbing how like someone can actually do something like that. Have they ever had you hop on, hop on some skates? Heck no, 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 no. I, well, I tell them all the time. It's like last time I put on a pair of skates, I was like 13. Right. So it's been like, 20 ish years. So probably not going to happen. And the other thing I tell them is also I'm from Mississippi. We don't have ice. <laughs> we have ice in our drinks, but we don't have ice. So it's probably not going to look good. I, I am planning though this year, especially like, all right, I'll put some hockey skates on. I'll go try and get on the ice. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, but no, not, not speed skating. I'm not speed skating around. Keith, uh, Keith Scruggs, Dr. Keith Scruggs, I want to say mm. episode 68 or 66. I have this ability to remember episodes. I don't know why. Well, maybe because it's my <laughs> podcast, but yeah. he's part of the ETSU screen as, as well. And uh, when I think it was Brad DeWeese went up to Lake Placid, uh, he brought Keith with him. And on the first day, the, guy, uh, the guys were like, hey, we, we need a fourth for our bobsleds. You want to hop in? He was like... <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and then his first day, he's like getting back to his room concussed because of all the G forces. Yeah. And stuff. Um, but then we, we finished that chat with like just the credibility that, that that gave him that he was willing to like go and help and do all those things. But, um, 
probably stick to, to hockey skates, not the, the speed skating no, skates. No. Well, I actually, you know, talking with the skaters, like they actually say, um, you know, the, like a short track skate is probably a better skate to start with than a hockey skate. Oh, um, because the hockey skate has that, has that bend, has that curve. The, the short track skate is a little bit more of a straighter. It does. They do have a bend. They do have some bend in it, but like for the most part, yeah, it's a straight blade. Um, and then long track blade is actually a clap skate. So it actually like comes off oh. and actually like claps. Right. So they're like, yeah, you might want to try just like a short track skate first instead of a hockey skate or, or a long track skate. I feel like the, the edges that always blew my mind, like the very front tip, but they don't like catch that more just watching on TV. Yeah. I mean, well, that does happen. Like we've had, I mean, the sport is not without its like severe like injuries and things like that. Like we've had one skater in particular has probably had more, <laughs> more injuries from skating, more cuts. Like he had a, he sliced his forearm, he sliced his calf. Oh. Um, and some of that is just simply like on short track you have in long track, but in short track, you have little blocks, little rubber blocks that are about that tall and they're on markers for the actual corners Mm. uh and and the apex of the turns and all that um so it basically is, it's the track pattern and so he actually you know going 30 something miles an hour he actually the front of his blade actually hit oh. that yeah that block and that's what caused him to go down mm. and so fast forward to two years from that same thing happened he's doing starts and he tips the blade down and catches it on the ice and then he goes down and, and going down he actually like cuts himself um so yeah i mean it it happens but it's not it's it's very rare i thought uh i thought that those were like cones so there's like in the yeah, ice they're little like no 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 they're little like rubber they're like cones but they're very very small and they're just rubber oh, okay so it's kind of like a cone but it's just yeah it's just like not even that big ouch um, ouch yeah so it's all rubber so if you kick it it's gonna it's gonna mess you up <laughs> dang yeah that is nuts just skating in general those guys like it's, it's one thing to to watch those kinds of sports yeah and be like yeah that that's pretty hard yeah but to do it yourself like me in, in beach volleyball like you you never not respect those athletes, but once you try to do it, you're just like, this is absolutely insane. So I, I highly recommend anyone with whatever sports try to hop in because it'll give you a, a newfound appreciation just to feel what it's like too. But um, whenever uh, whenever that happens, be be sure to to take a video or don't. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We're gonna we're gonna kind of keep you know we'll, we'll give me about 10, 10, 15 minutes of busting my butt on the yeah, ice solid. and then. Uh, let me learn a little bit and then we'll, and then we'll start filming stuff. Great. Don't Great. worry. As soon as, as soon as I step on the ice on any skates, our social media people are going to come down. Like, Oh, I bet. It's, it's like, they're, they're already, they're like vultures are watching for that one time where I do it. Cause they've been trying to get me to do it for three years now. You have to go in like super early or super late just yeah. to practice. Yeah. So yeah, it's like around like 11 to one, 12 to one. That's the time where we're going to go. Perfect. Perfect. All right, last big story. So the story you're most proud of or the biggest kind of full circle payoff moment, what would that be for you so far? Man, um, 
I don't know if I have like a full circle one within the context of like S and C. Um, my, my full circle story is a little bit more of a personal one where um, my, my, so I'm from Oxford, Mississippi. I'm from Ole Miss, um, University of Mississippi. And so I grew up there, uh, born and raised. Um, I left to go to uh, Lambeth University in Jackson, Tennessee, which was an NAIA school. Um, had an opportunity to either walk on to a couple different places in football or take somewhat of a scholarship uh, at Lambeth. I wanted to get out, so I did. And then my first year there, I realized that wasn't a place for me, so I wanted to go back to Ole Miss. And so growing up, uh, like there, my father and my mother were worker uh, staff at, at the university. My mom was actually uh, secretary for the chancellor there um, for 30 something years. My dad was the manager of the student union there. My dad had a really cool job, which was um, he got to actually back in the old days, um, they would, the, the team would bus to the stadium and then they would walk from the stadium to the student union. And then if anybody understands Ole Miss or SEC football, there's a thing called the Grove at Ole Miss. And that's where the players walk down. They walk down the, the, the walk of champions and that takes them right to the, to the stadium. Um, and so my dad actually had the responsibility of walking the team from, uh, from the entrance of the union, the student union, up to the media room where they would have their coach meeting and all that stuff. And then from there down to the actual walk of champions. Um, and so as a kid, I got to do that with them like every Saturday, right? Every Saturday there was a home game. Well, fast forward, I come back to Ole Miss. I am on the football team. And coming full circle, spring game rolls around, home games roll around. My dad is actually able to see his son do that process. Um, and that is like my, my dad. So I'm, I'm the younger brother. I have an older brother. My dad didn't get, didn't really come to a lot of my events. Um, because by that point, you know, he'd already been through everything with my brother. It wasn't that he didn't want to, it's just, he was just tired and he just didn't like, he just wasn't there. Um, he came to my first college game that I ever played in. Uh, but like he hadn't been at a lot of my events growing up. And so for him to be there and to experience that, that was like a huge coming full circle thing where he basically had, you know, his son grow up helping him do this. And now he retired at that point was able to kind of see me. And that was probably the, one of the few times I've ever seen my dad get really emotional. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's awesome. A lot of Ole Miss blood run through your, your family's veins. What was it like when you committed or decided or told that you were going to do football at, at Ole Miss? Yeah, so for me, um, so I, I'll put it to you this way. I wasn't the most athletically gifted athlete. No. <laughs> um, I was an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, and 
in high school, they would call it power back, whatever that meant, fullback. Um, and I remember, so uh, as most people would imagine, high school is very clicky um, and coaches are very clicky um, in high schools. And so I didn't really get a lot of, uh, a lot of exposure. Looks. Yeah. Exposure from those coaches. Um, but I would go to these training camps. I would go to these summer camps and these, and these football camps. And I would get, you know, I remember going to a lot of different camps and I would have coaches be like, yeah, if your coach would just move you to fullback, like, you know, we need to, you know, move you to fullback, move you to fullback, all that kind of stuff. And my high school coaches wouldn't like do it. I mean, I got letters. That's the other thing is like, I would get letters from Auburn, Southern Miss, um, Georgia, Tennessee. Um, Big time. Yeah. I, I got, I got letters, you know, recruitment letters and things like that and, and taking trips and stuff like that. And it also helped that we had like the number one defensive player in Mississippi, who was my best friend and uh, going to camps with them also helped out. But um just never like my high school coaches just never would. And, and there was a lot of times where they would belittle me. Um, they would open my mail uh, before I even got it. Um, and they would, Is that a felony? Yes. And, <laughs> um, they would, you know, jokingly call me like Auburn sent me letters. Right. So they would jokingly call me war Eagle. Right. And it's like, you guys are, doing great for, you know, the youth of America right now. Um, but so anyway, so like basically it came down to it. I had just a few opportunities and, and when I left Lambeth and wanted to leave Lambeth, I knew that I didn't want to stop playing football. So basically it took, you know, there was a lot of turmoil there because Ed Orgeron had just been let go and his staff had gotten let go and, Houston Nutt had come in and his staff, he was getting people on his staff. And I remember I had everything set. This was like November or something like that. I had everything set to transfer in as a preferred walk-on um, for the, for the spring. And I remember like basically the recruiting guy or whoever the guy was at the time was like, yeah, coach Nutt's not going to agree to any past uh, promises. And I was like, okay, this is going to go, this is not going to go well. So basically um, I remember I had to go into coach, coach Nutt's office. I had to sit down with him. And basically what he said to me was, uh, you know, don't make, don't, don't let this be a mistake on my, on my part, letting you onto the program. And I said, it wouldn't be and all that kind of stuff. And, um, basically my decision ultimately came from me saying I didn't want to quit playing football. And my first spring there was rough because that's what they all wanted to do. Like my running backs coach, uh, my first year was real rough because he didn't want me as a fullback. Um, I, had, again, at Lambeth, I was kind of an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, power back, whatever you wanted to call it. Um, and then going to Ole Miss, they were like, okay, you're going to be a fullback. You're not tall enough to be an offensive lineman. You're not big enough to be an offensive lineman in the SEC. You're going to be a, you're going to, you know, we're going to move you to the fullback. And I remember my running backs coach just didn't really want me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that ultimately that, that decision, uh, it, it was a, it was a good decision because I got to go back home, 
Uh, I got to do something that no one in my entire graduating class or teachers or coaches or even the town itself thought I could do. Um, so I got to kind of stick it to them. Um, and I got to, you know, be able to do that really for my dad. So my dad could actually have that kind of emotional connection. Um, but it was a rough, it was a rough process for sure. Oh my gosh. To say the least, there's a lot of, a lot of parts going into that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure those stories will not that you're in college anymore or, or high school, but your, your little one will get there eventually. I'm guessing he yeah. has some, some pretty good genes. Um, I'm, I'm sure those, those stories will, will come back useful. Yeah. All right. So almost done, almost done. <laughs> so on TSP, all about the source lessons, experiences, the X's and O's are bring us together, but it's not, you know, really what coaching is about and helping athletes. But at the end of the day, we have to be good at the X's and O's to get the stories to then share. So we're all practitioners here. What is one story or sorry, one question that the listener can ask themselves, whether it's on a daily or weekly basis, just to help them become better? Um, for me, it's, I think, you know, what kind of impact are you trying to have that day um so you know again yeah like you said like x's and o's and we're all practitioners so we're all looking at well how can i make someone jump higher or run faster or you know what's that you know periodization model or whatever it is um but really like at the end of the day you kind of mentioned that they're all people they're all individuals right so it's like how can you have an impact in that day um you know here in speed skating, it's really kind of cool because we have this, it's a team, but it's really individual and each, each like, so long track is a bunch of individuals that are put together as a team. And so really it's about, you know, what can, what can you bring to the table for the group and on a daily basis, you know? So if you have someone who's not really put forth the full effort, it's going to be detrimental to the team because the team's not going to be able to have the lap split time that they want to have. Um, or they're not going to get the push from you to, to try harder. Um, and likewise, you're not as well. And then in short track, um, it's, there's a, it's a team of, of individuals. That's a little bit more of a team because there's team events in it. Um, so relays and things like that. But what I've kind of found is, is like, again, what, you know, what is it on that day? So some people may need, you know, a kick in the butt you know, a realization moment. Some may just need affirmation. Some may just need a self, like a, just a check-in, like, hey, how you doing? Um, some people may need, again, you go into X's and O's. Some, somebody may need a 1080 sprint session that's focused on acceleration, you know, or someone may need, you know, uh, plyometrics or, or some, something to add into their warm-up. Um, it really gets to like, what, what's the need of that person on that day? And what can you actually provide on that day? And it doesn't have to be directly related to your profession. Yeah. Going back to, or I guess, introducing leadership, not in a cliche way, but from Jeremy Boone, for those who are familiar with him, leaders are value engineers. So taking a step back and saying beyond the the X's and O's or the minimum of my job, which is to give them a good workout on top of that, how can I provide more value to them? Whether it's the kick in the butt, whether it's, whether it's just 
checking in as probably not too many people do that when they're just crazy being pro athletes and stuff. So taking a step back and say, how can I provide more value or what impact, how can I maximize my impact today? And it doesn't have to be the craziest things in the world, you know, um, as I'm sure you have, um, probably some simple stories of just smaller conversations or questions that turn into like some pretty big stuff. So I think that's huge to take yourself kind of out of the equation and say the workout's the workout, you know, but if I want to make something bigger, you know, how can I do that? Um, so I think that that's a super relevant question and can definitely be asked on a daily basis. You know, what does this person need? So I think yeah. that that's great. Well, I think it just bleeds, it bleeds into other things. Right. So like if you, you know, I, I kind of stole it from, uh, Michael Rosenbaum who has a podcast. Um, he was Lex Luthor in Smallville. Uh, if maybe people remember that. Um, but he, he has a little section that's called like, how, how you doing? And so he'll talk to his guests and it's just like, Hey, how you doing? This is just a check in, you know? And so I really kind of took that and that's like, I'll, I'll see an athlete in the morning, sip my cup of coffee and I'll just be like, Hey, how you doing? Just checking in, you know? And most times it starts with just a simple conversation of like, well, you know, I'm feeling a little sore, whatever it is from the workout, blah, blah. blah. And then they'll just kind of bleed into other things. And what that ends up doing is that that creates like you mentioned value, right? Um, but it's showing that you value them as an individual. And if you show that you value them as an individual, then, then they're going to probably try a little bit harder or be more accepting of new things that you want to try with them mm-hmm. um, and building that relationship. Cause they know that, that you're there not just for the, like you have their back beyond just on the ice. Yeah. I think beyond just huge. a performance thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I, I tell them already that, you know, your success is your success. Like I'm never going to hang my hat on your success, you know, cause I'm not the one out there skating. Um, you know, it's, we jokingly say, it's like, if the strength coach is working on your blades or the strength coach is in the coach's box or the strength coach is out there skating, something went wrong. <laughs> so that's their performance. So for me, it's okay. I just want to make sure that, you know, you're you're doing well you as a person not you as an athlete interesting yeah well maybe if you are on the ice something is going very well and someone uh, should have hit record so bring uh, uh, <laughs> it full circle so yeah. at the end now now is your opportunity to shamelessly plug whatever you got to plug where can the listeners get more coach stewart yeah so i'm on social media um I, ha- I I don't do well on social media. Uh, I probably have like a whole big long list uh, on my Instagram of people that have been sending me requests. Um, but yeah, so social media is Coach A. Stewart, I think is what it is. Um, and also I'll be joining Eric McMahon and several others next week on a on the professional baseball strength conditioning uh, round table during their meeting or their clinic. And then um, there's also USOPC data summit, which I was scheduled to talk at that one, but I'm, I'm actually not um, overbooking of, of people, which is cool and fine. It's still an amazing uh, summit to go listen to. Um, and then I will also be doing another talk uh, later on in October on um, the ACSM, uh, 
regional, what is it, mountain regional or something. Um, I'm doing an ACSM lecture series uh, on Winter Olympics and sport preparation and all that um, for the ACSM. And then, yeah, just you can uh, find, I just published my first publication of my dissertation. Sweet, congrats. Um, so if you're, you've got access to the journal uh, Strength Conditioning Journal for the NSCA, you can just type in speed skating. Um, there's not very many. <laughs> Mine is the third uh, in the last 30 years. So hey. kind of rolling. We're getting the ball rolling on uh, publications with speed skating. Um, but there's that. And I'll be, I'll be working on some others as well for my dissertation. So be on the lookout of that kind of stuff. Mm. And you've been posting some good stuff on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, yeah. So we did, we try to do a video series for membership. Um, as you can imagine, um, this sport is not a college sport, right? Uh, the pathways are not as, as uh, open as they are for, say, basketball or football or baseball, um, even volleyball. Um, so this sport is really from, you know, USB skating has a, a thing where it's like pond to podium, basically. So we're going from this very small pond of, of these athletes in different kind of clubs and pockets to kind of these training sites that we have to national team, to Olympic games. And so really it's about getting back to membership on how to actually, you know, the education side of things like programming and why you're programming and how energy systems work and, um, you know, specific versus general training and all these other kind of things that are, you know, really, uh, you know, 100 level class at a university or something like that, like these basic kind of concepts presenting it to them because they may not know it because some of these coaches are not, they're, they're not exercise physiology based. They're not uh, exercise science based. They're not anything of that nature. They're, you know, they, they work full-time jobs and then part-time they coach. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really about getting back to the basics of things and giving them a big understanding of the basics so that they can create a program for their, their athletes. And so those athletes can mature over time and work their way up. And so when I eventually see them, they're not Ricky Bobbies and they don't know what to do with their hands or know how to hinge their hips or they're injury prone because they've done so much specificity coming up that they've got overuse injuries. That's sweet. It sounds like an, an, an awesome resource and the, the listener will have to check it out. So that will all be in the show notes below. And I want to say thank you very much for your time for sharing some stories. And this has been great. Thanks for having me, man.